Our scripture lesson this evening is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 18 and reading through verse 50, page 1,126 in the Pew Bible, 1,126. Matthew 13, verse 18. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he received the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the world, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, do you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, And with a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept in secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all that things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. 
for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels and threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. In conjunction with it, I invite you to look at the Heidelberg Catechism on page 255 in the uh, Forms and Prayers book, Lord's Day 48, question and answer 123 concerning the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Day 48, what does the second petition mean? Your kingdom come means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the devil's works. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until your kingdom fully comes when you will be all in all. Beloved of the Lord, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he told them how to address God as Father and that they should come as uh, believing children, calling upon a loving Father who is able to do all that they need and willing to give them all that they need. He also told them that as a first priority in prayer, they should pray for the hallowing of God's name, the setting apart of God's name as something special, uh, which means we need to get to know him uh, as uh, for who he is, that we may honor him uh, in a proper way, honor him as God. And uh, in order for God's name to be hallowed, uh, we have to know him and we have to make him known to others so that others can recognize who he is and hallow his name. But then the second priority in prayer, the second thing, is your kingdom come. When you pray to the Father, you say to him, may your kingdom come. Now, we want to consider uh, this evening uh, what that is uh, all about. The kingdom is a, is a very important thing. In Mark's gospel, where the gospel writer introduces us to uh, Jesus' ministry, he says, uh, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel and kingdom go hand in hand, and uh, the first words out of Jesus' mouth in Mark's gospel are, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The time is at hand. The kingdom of God, uh, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Again, gospel and kingdom go hand in hand. And uh, the reason we need to repent is because it is at hand, it is coming. Uh, Jesus uh, told his uh, disciples the kingdom was uh, within them and uh, that it was being manifested through his ministry. And uh, he even uh, made a prediction in Mark 9 that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. 
referring, of course, to his ascension and the sending of the Spirit, the Spirit of power that comes as a consequence of the fact that Christ is ascended and is seated on the throne in the kingdom and is now putting all his enemies under his feet. Well, let's consider tonight uh, two things. What is the kingdom, and why do we have to pray about it? Uh, There are many people who uh, wonder, you know, if the kingdom is coming, Uh, Christ is coming, and there's nothing we can do to, uh, uh, we don't know when he's coming, he could come at any time, and when he comes, he's going to bring the fullness of the kingdom. What's the difference between praying, thy kingdom come, and uh, come quickly, Lord Jesus? Well, there is a difference, and uh, so we need to look at uh, what is the kingdom, and uh, why it is then that we should pray for it to come. Well, what is a kingdom? Well, a kingdom is simply an area of land over which a king rules. It's the place where people accept the king as ruler and where they show their respect by obeying his laws. Uh, A kingdom means uh, the king's dominion, the king's domain, the area of his lordship. It's his realm. Um, That's how the idea of kingdom gets uh, started in the Bible. uh, This world and uh, all creation is God's kingdom. He created it uh, for himself, for his own glory, And uh, then he gives it to man, and he gives it to man to uh, rule on his behalf. So uh, Adam and Eve are vice regents under God the King. They rule the earth for God on his behalf. Uh, This is his realm, and we take care of it for him. That was the plan. But of course, Adam was uh, tempted by the devil. Uh, The devil said, you can become like God, knowing good and evil, which means... uh, You can become uh, like God who determines good and evil merely or solely by reference to himself, by no other authority. There's no other higher authority, higher standard than God. If God wants to know what's right or wrong, he looks within himself. He decides for himself uh, based on his nature what is right and what is wrong. Uh, Satan uh, didn't like that. and tempted Adam to uh, think differently, independently. Decide for yourself. Uh, Nobody should tell you what to do. You should be your own man. You should decide for yourself what's right and what's wrong. Uh, You don't have to live under God. And uh, you can uh, take this all, all this authority and power uh, unto yourself and not have to be under anybody. You can become like God over this creation. Adam thought perhaps uh, he would become then the ruler of the earth, no longer vice ruler, but uh, absolute ruler. Uh, He uh, was deceived in that regard because uh, what he discovered was when he rebelled against God, he became a uh, slave of Satan. Satan who then claimed this world as his realm. Not that he had any right to it. He is a usurper a supplanter, a pretender, taking power without a right to do so. But that uh, is what uh, Satan did. Now, God is not going to allow the devil to uh, steal the earth and uh, keep mankind in bondage. So he set about uh, to liberate man from Satan's control and retake the earth as his kingdom. Of course, this requires atonement uh, for man's sin. It requires uh, the cross where God would uh, defeat the forces of evil. And to prepare the way for that victory, God established a beachhead for his kingdom, so to speak, in the Old Testament by calling Abraham and his descendants to establish a a nation in the land of Canaan. And God gave Canaan to Abraham as a sign that 
one day God is going to take back the whole earth. Uh, you can see that uh, clearly in the, by a comparison of Genesis 17, verse 8, with Romans, 14, verse th- Romans 4, verse 13. In Genesis 17, 8, uh, God says to Abraham, I will give you to you and your offspring uh, the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. I'm going to give you Canaan, he says. But in Romans 4.13, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, interprets that a little differently. He says, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that they would be heir of the world. And the Greek word translated world is heir of the cosmos, you know, the, the entire creation. The promise to Abraham, says Paul, was that he would be an heir to the world, that it would all belong to him. So, you know, yes, God promised Canaan, but that was symbolic of something much more that God intended to give to his people in the fullness of time. That is, he's going to restore the whole creation back uh, to uh, mankind as God's uh, vice regent. When uh, Jesus came into the world, he announced that the kingdom was at hand, that it was about to begin, and he demonstrated its power by casting out demons. That was a very special kind of miracle that he did, and Jesus said this has great significance because when you see uh, that I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then the kingdom has come upon you. Uh, He goes on to say in uh, Matthew 12, uh, 28 and 29, Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his good unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus is the strong man who, or Jesus is the one who is plundering a strong man's house. The strong man is Satan. Satan indeed is a powerful enemy. But Christ comes to bind him and to plunder his house. And when you see him doing that, you see. He's saying, I'm, I'm coming back now to uh, take this world back uh, into my control. Satan well understood the mission of Christ, and uh, one of the temptations, you know, was to take him on a high uh, mountain and show him all the kingdoms of the earth. And uh, Satan said, you know, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll, I'll give you all these. I, I know you've come for these, and, and uh, you think you have to go to the cross and suffer agony in hell in order to, to get it, but I, I can give it to you the easy way. Just just bow down and worship me, and, and you can be my vice regent, you know. Uh, but that worked with the first Adam, but it didn't work with the second Adam. He, uh, he resisted that uh, temptation. And of course, Christ won the decisive victory at the cross. We read in Colossians 2, verse 15, he, that is Christ, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them uh, through the cross. He's now ascended to the throne in, hev- in heaven and uh, is in the process of putting all his enemies under his feet. And when he is done, uh, the scripture says he will hand over the kingdom to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Then the kingdom comes to uh, its fullness when Christ uh, hands it over to the Father and Christ returns uh, to raise uh, the dead and uh, establish a, a new heaven on earth. The, uh, the kingdom comes to expression now, uh, particularly in the church. We know that because when Christ said, I will build my church, 
He immediately, in the same context, went on to say, and to you I give the keys of the the kingdom. I will build my church, and to you, the leaders of the church, I give the the keys of the kingdom. Uh, The church exercises kingdom authority, and the power of the keys is the power to open, especially to open the kingdom, to announce that all who repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are citizens of that kingdom and are welcomed into this new kingdom. And by the uh, power of the Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, we are translated out of the kingdom of Satan and into the kingdom of God uh, through the use of the keys of the kingdom. Now Christ is in the process of uh, gathering all the citizens of the kingdom, liberating them from uh, Satan's power. He is uh, fulfilling Genesis 3.15, putting enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, uh, drawing us uh, Uh, out of the world. Uh, We are in the world, but not of the world. The world hates us because uh, we are not of the world. The Satan is uh, uh, of the world, and we are of the new kingdom, and uh, that is what Christ is doing now. Kingdom power is also seen in transformed lives as the gospel spreads and grows, and uh, as the church grows. It's also seen in the wrath of God being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, Uh, particularly in the fulfillment of the prophecy of Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, uh, not one stone will be left upon another. Forty years after Jesus said that, 40 years of testing, 40 years of gospel preaching, when all the Jews heard the gospel uh, in the uh, uh, Greek and Roman world, then uh, disaster fell on them. Those days of vengeance that uh, Jesus speaks about in Luke's gospel fell, and uh, we see The king is on the throne. Uh, He's using his rod of iron to smash uh, all those who uh, heard the gospel but uh, rebelled against it. Jesus explained the uh, the, uh, kingdom through many parables, uh, the parable of the sower. The kingdom is uh, planted in our hearts by the word of God and bears fruit uh, by the power of the Spirit, by taking root in our hearts. The parable of the weeds, uh, wickedness grows along with the kingdom until the final harvest. Uh, things, uh, the church is going to grow, but evil is going to grow with it. Uh, the parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom starts out small, but it gets uh, bigger. The parable of the, the yeast, uh, the kingdom uh, transforms our lives, giving it uh, shape and texture and aroma and flavor. Uh, we become different people through uh, the presence of the kingdom in our lives. The parable of uh, hidden treasure, you know, don't let anything get in your way of obtaining the kingdom. Par- the parable of the pearl of great price, the kingdom is more valuable than anything else in this world. Well, the Bible is full of uh, teaching. Jesus, especially his teaching, is full of uh, teaching about the kingdom, uh, his realm, his dominion that he is uh, winning for himself, taking it back from uh, the usurper Satan. Now, why do we have to pray for the coming of the kingdom? Well, so that we might more and more come under the, uh, the influence of the word by the power of the Spirit. Uh, the Catechism says, uh, rule us by your word and spirit, uh, that we more and more submit to you. Uh, we are kingdom citizens. We don't yet fully act like kingdom citizens. And so the coming of the kingdom means in part that you and I have to be 
made more and more like kingdom citizens. You know, it's not enough to merely be cleansed of uh, the guilt of sin and to be declared righteous in the sight of God, to be justified. God's will for us is also sanctification as well as uh, justification. We need to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ in true righteousness, holiness, and, and knowledge. You remember the parable in Luke 11 of uh, uh, a house uh, swept clean of one demon, a house uh, representing a person, and, uh, but it remains empty. And then the demon returns and finds it empty and goes and gets other demons uh, to come and occupy that empty house. And the last condition of the person is worse than the first. Uh, the, uh, the only way to expel uh, evil is to replace it with good. And so you and I need to be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. Praying for the kingdom means praying to get rid of the uh, works of the flesh described in Galatians 5 as sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul goes on to say, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When you pray, Jesus says, pray for the coming of the kingdom. And that means pray about these sorts of things in your life, where you see you have fallen short of the mark in any of those areas or any others, because it goes on to say, and things like these, because it's not an exhaustive list. All the works of the flesh, the pride of life, the, uh, the love of the things that are perishing, we have to work hard to get rid of them out of our lives. And we get rid of them by being filled with the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. These aren't just uh, nice things to uh, embroider on a piece of embroidery and frame and put on the wall. These are things that we need to struggle in prayer, saying, God, fill me with your love, fill me with joy, fill me with patience, fill me with kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You know, uh, some of our ministers have been discussing among themselves uh, this week in an internet chat group uh, for URC ministers the, uh, uh, the wisdom of a, a, a chat room for the congregation where uh, we can... Uh, uh, encourage one another. Uh, everybody in the congregation uh, is, subscribes to this uh, chat room on the on the uh, internet, and then we encourage one another. And uh, one pastor described an experience with his congregation that it it worked well, okay, for a while. People would share prayer requests and uh, things like that. But then uh, somebody decided they had to put a criticism of the elders, and then another one uh, started criticizing uh, fellow members and. Uh, it quickly got out of control. Uh, if you do any kind of uh, discussions on the internet, you know that if you try to uh, discuss with somebody with whom you have a difference, what's the first thing they do? Well, they attack you. It's called uh, ad hominem uh, attack. Uh, they can't uh, answer your arguments, and so they attack your character. And uh, uh, it's not just other people who do it to us. Sadly, uh, we often fall into that trap as well, and so we need to pray, Lord, help me to uh, 
help me to remember that a, a soft answer turns away wrath and that uh, I'm to love my enemies and bless those who persecute me. And, and that's to affect the way I, I speak to people uh, on the internet, the people that I can't see. It's so easy to, to just write them off and, and send derogatory things at them because we don't see them. We've, we would never talk to anybody like that face to face, or I hope you would never talk to someone like that face to face, but it's so easy to do on the internet. Well, we have to pray about it. Oh, Lord, change me. Make me a kingdom citizen in the way I communicate. Pray that you might more and more learn to deny yourself. Uh, this morning I mentioned the matter of uh, selfishness, how it destroys all kinds of human relationships, uh, marriage relationships, and parent-child relationships, and relationships at work, and so forth. People being selfish and self-centered, and you know, we're to be salt and light in this world, and part of that is following the example of Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be selfishly held on to, but he emptied himself of his heavenly glory without ceasing to be God, and humbled himself, and took the form of a servant, and suffered even unto death. Well, we may not be called to suffer to the point of death, but we are called to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice of thanksgiving, where we live not for ourselves, but we live for the benefit of others. That's what it means to pray for the kingdom, is to pray for your growth in grace, that you might manifest that you are a kingdom citizen and that we as a church might manifest ourselves as kingdom citizens. The second thing that the Catechism says, uh, praying uh, thy kingdom come means, is to, to pray for uh, the church to grow, preserve and increase your church. We're not only praying for personal growth, but we're praying for the corporate church that it might grow. You know, not all churches do prosper and grow. Of the seven churches of Asia, two receive only commendation from God, re receive only praise from God. The other five are all uh, receive some commendation, but also some condemnation. They're, they've got problems, and, and some of them aren't growing because uh, they are, their love has grown cold, or they have tolerated evil in their midst. They're uh, too compassionate without any justice and have become weak and sentimental and so forth. Uh, think of uh, Old Testament Israel, how often they uh, were unfaithful to God when uh, everyone had their own house and their own vine and their own fig tree. And Nehemiah says, uh, we grew fat and we forgot God. We grew fat and we forgot God. Well, you and I live in an age of fatness, literal and figurative, uh, monetarily as well as physically, and uh, there is a great tendency among us to forget God. And uh, so we have to pray for the church that uh, we remain uh, humble, that we remain uh, hardworking and generous, that we let our light shine. Uh, Pray that we might be known for our obedience to Christ, our love for the truth, our compassion for the hurting, and our zeal to share the gospel with those who need to hear it. The third thing that the Catechism says we have to pray for is that all the works of the devil will be overthrown, especially his attacks on the Word. Uh, the Catechism says, destroy the devil's work, destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy Word. 
What's a conspiracy against his holy word? Well, certainly uh, evolution is a conspiracy against his holy word uh, that has led uh, even people in the church to write off the first 11 chapters of Genesis as myth and much of the rest of history as uh, made up and uh, even the gospel accounts as uh, being uh, wishful thinking or uh, uh, people's uh, pipe dream and so forth. Uh, secularism in the West and uh, Islam in the East and now also in the West are, are Satan's attack upon the Word of God. But neither is invincible and both have and will continue to crumble under the advance of the gospel. And so we ought to uh, pray about that. You know, there, good news rarely sells. <laughs> um, the uh, media have that uh, old motto, if it bleeds, it leads, you know. Uh, people like to hear about uh, all sorts of tragedies. We're all uh, slow down to look at accidents and that sort of thing. Um, but good news, that rarely gets uh, reported. But there, there is a lot of good news in the world. I recently uh, read, I, I didn't see this book, but I read uh, excerpts from it. The book is entitled uh, 10 Global Trends Every uh, Smart Person Should Know. It's published by the Cato Institute, and uh, I don't necessarily endorse all that that uh, institute uh, stands for, although they do stand for some good things. But uh, in this book, uh, 10 Global Trends, uh, it, uh, it looks at history broadly uh, over a thousand years and over especially 200 years and notes that you know in 1820 this book was published in 2020 so 200 years before the book was published uh, extreme poverty affected 84 uh, percent of the world's population and by extreme poverty they said that means living on the equivalent of today's a dollar ninety a day a dollar ninety cents a day can you imagine today living on a dollar ninety cents uh, that's all you had that's extreme poverty and in 1820 uh, 84 percent of the world uh, was living in extreme poverty in 2020 eight point four percent of the world is living in extreme poverty uh, quite a dramatic difference and, and the, the most rapid decline in that number occurred in the last 50 years uh, through international uh, commerce and trade and through uh, growth in uh, democracies and uh, freedom around the world. Uh, the, uh, such a, a small percentage compared to just 200 years ago, only 8.4% now are living in extreme poverty. That doesn't mean there aren't really poor people suffering in the world now. But it does mean that in 200 years, we've made a, a great deal of progress. Uh, it talks about illiteracy. Uh, in 1820, 90% of the world's population were illiterate. Now, 10% are illiterate and 90% are literate. Uh, again, tremendous advances in human culture and in overthrowing the work of the devil to keep people in ignorance and keep people in poverty and keep people dying from starvation. That's, that's Satan's work. That's his, his program is to destroy the human race, uh, to keep them in the dark and to keep them sick and to keep them weak. Um, the, uh, the book talks about uh, democratic uh, governments that allow their citizens to live in freedom. 
where human rights are expected, uh, respected. Now, not every country that uses the word democracy really is a democracy, but they identify uh, countries that are uh, truly democratic and free, and they say that in 1970, uh, 22% of the world's population lived in freedom under real democracies. And in uh, 2020, uh, 50 years later, uh, 50%, from 22% to 50%. Now that still means that half the world lives under uh, oppressive uh, governments, uh, cruel dictators and such, and, and most of that is in communist China. Uh, but it does mean we're moving in the right direction. More of the world is free, more of the world is prospering, more of the world is learning. And uh, I attribute this in part uh, to uh, the advance of the church in the, in the world. Uh, the church is doing great work and uh, sending missionaries uh, throughout the world. And, and those missionaries are reporting great uh, uh, numbers of people coming to faith. I recall that when I was uh, in seminary in 1976, I heard a very sad report of a retired Presbyterian minister who had spent uh, 40 years as a missionary in Muslim countries. And in retirement, he took his own life because he was so depressed that in 40 years of ministry, he had not seen one Muslim ever converted to the faith. And it wasn't just that he didn't convert any, he didn't see any anywhere being converted. Uh, there were other Muslim missionaries, uh, missionaries to Muslims working too, and he just saw that it, it, nothing was happening. But if you read reports like we get from uh, Middle East Reform Fellowship, Reverend Victor Atala, uh, the people who are working with Muslims now can't keep up with all the, the thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of people who are turning their back on the Muslim faith and, and coming to faith in Christ, in part because of Muslim terrorism. You know, Muslims uh, see the reports of what is done in the name of Allah and they are repulsed by it and say, this is my religion, I don't want this religion. And, and they become open then to the gospel and uh, through the internet and through the radio, uh, even where we can't send missionaries into uh, Muslim countries, uh, hundreds of thousands of people are hearing the gospel and many are coming to faith in Christ. And, and that's just in the last uh, 50 years. And so this is overturning the works of the devil. This is, this is uh, conquering his work. It's the building of the church. And it's, it's in answer to the prayer, thy kingdom come. Why do we need to pray this? Well, I need to pray it because I struggle against the works of the flesh, trying to put them to death and to, to put on the, the work of the Spirit uh, in love, joy, peace. And you struggle also in personal sanctification and because we're trying to make the church grow and, and prosper and because we want to see the works of the devil overcome. That's why we need to pray. We can't make the kingdom come and it's, uh, it's not going to uh, come uh, in, in fullness before Christ comes. Uh, I'm not a, uh, a post-millennialist who believes in a golden age before Christ's return, but I am optimistic about the work of the church in part because Christ told us to pray this prayer. Not just come quickly, Lord Jesus, but may your kingdom come now in power in our lives and manifest itself in the life of the world so that the world sees uh, and, and gets a taste of, of the fullness of what's coming when Christ comes again. So pray. Pray thy kingdom come. Amen. Let us pray. 
Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this instruction in prayer and pray that uh, indeed our lives may be transformed by the power of the kingdom, by your spirit uh, working in us uh, to sanctify us more and more, uh, putting to death the old nature and putting on the new nature and being conformed to the image of Christ. And we pray that your kingdom may come in, in power in the church as the church grows and reaches out to the world that is perishing. And we pray that uh, we may see the devil's works destroyed and every force that revolts against you and your word uh, come to naught. We pray, O oh Father, that we may uh, see this and, uh, and give thanks and praise to you and look forward to that day when Christ returns and ushers in the fullness of his kingdom. Amen. Let us respond to God's word by uh, singing selection uh, 72A and we'll sing uh, five stanzas. And you might want to put your bulletin in that uh, spot because uh, for our doxology, we're going to sing uh, the same song, but stanza eight. So we'll sing five stanzas now, the first five now, and stanza eight later on after the offering for our doxology. 